Good morning. Welcome to the Lord's house. Will you stand with us? Let's begin our worship by saying, sing wherever I go. Sing wherever I go. Good morning, Kavanaugh Church family. How's everyone doing? I, I told First Service, because they opened up with a song that just kind of reminded me of this, and this song reminds me of this too. I just, I can think back to the moment where I received that joy in Jesus for myself personally. Can you? Can you remember the moment where you asked Jesus in your heart? I, I remember third grade Nathan was sitting in, uh, in a VBS, all right? And the, just months prior to that moment, um, my mom and dad had told me that I was never, ever, ever allowed to watch the movie Titanic that had just come out, and I disobeyed, all right? And the nightmares that I had of drowning and being very fearful of death, and those, those questions started coming in, and I remember VBS that year was about Noah's Ark. See what happened? Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Noah's boat stayed afloat, man, and I, I was going to be on that same ark because I wanted, I wanted to to live. And I remember receiving Jesus as my Lord and Savior 
in that moment. And we celebrate those types of moments because God is so, so good. All of our life, the Lord is good to us, and He means for us to have a joy that is so satisfactory that nothing in this world could, to, could even come close to. And we pray for that same type of joy to be had this morning in our midst, because we know that there might be somebody who has not received that joy, hasn't committed to that relationship to the Lord. So we've been praying for you all week long. As for the rest of us, we want to continue to just grow and know the Lord better. Amen. We want to just improve our daily lives and be able to be a light to this dark world. So I pray that something awesome happens here today. There are going to be some pretty cool stuff. we got some baptisms that's going to happen, and Brother Will's sermon is amazing. So, But we pray that your heart is open and ready for what the Lord's about to do here in this place. I want to welcome you and any first-time guests. Uh, thank you for being here today. There's a Connect card in the chair back in front of you. If you could fill that out right after service, just take it out these back doors. And we have some people there at a Connect counter that would love to tell you all about our church, all right? We love you guys. Thanks so much for being here today. I'm going to invite you all to stand. We're going to ask God's anointing on our services today. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for bringing us all back together here in this place, God. We love our church and we love our church family, God. So move in our midst today. We invite you here, not just, uh, not just in this building, but in our hearts and in our families and in our relationships here, God. As the body of Christ, Lord, we want to lift you up and celebrate you. We want to hear from you today and be with Brother Will as he brings the message. Touch our hearts in such a way that we are encouraged and motivated to be a light in this dark world. Because, Lord, we do have family members, we do have friends, we do have coworkers that desperately need to know you. And, and you've given us the mission to go be your hands and feet. So equip us today, God. We love you. In your name, amen. Greet those around you, and we'll get started in a few seconds.
is what a beautiful name, what a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. And as we were preparing this week, I came across this devotion. I'm going to read you just an excerpt from it. It was entitled, Nothing Compares to God. The Lord God Almighty is sovereign. 
He rules and he reigns over all things in all places at all times and in every way imaginable. Who is there that's greater than God? No one comes close. None that could ever stand up to him or measure up to him. There is nothing that exists that could even compare to his greatness. There is nothing that escapes his sight, nothing that moves without his permission, nothing that happens that is not according to his plan and will. Mankind could not accomplish one thing without his authorization or breath within them. He has made all things and formed them with the power of his word. He knew each item from its beginning to end before he created them. He has planned everything and constructed it to bring about his intended plan for his glory, his honor, his praise, and good pleasure. He will have his way. No devil, demon, no wicked man, no wicked woman, or devious scheme of any of them will ever move him from his place of sovereign authority. Amen? Not one millimeter. He stands firm to the end, unmovable. Who do we trust but this awesome, magnificent, marvelous, majestic, amazing, all-powerful, loving, and merciful God? If you have faith in Him, He will never leave you. He will never fail you. He will never forsake you. He will never falter in accomplishing every promise He declared. He is faithful to those who are faithful to Him. And as we sing this last song about His beautiful name and His powerful name, let me just reiterate the title of that song, Nothing Compares to God.
wonderful, precious, powerful name of Jesus. God, we realize that we are nothing without you and that you are our everything. Lord, we, just the very breath that we breathe is a gift from you. Lord, there is none who compares to you. There is no one on earth, no one before you, no one that will be after you, our sovereign God. And we praise you in this place this morning and bless your wonderful name. We ask that you continue to be with us today in this service and just anoint Brother Will as he preaches the word. Help it to fall on open hearts today. Help us to look at our lives and to make sure we know this Jesus that we've sang about this morning. We love you and give you glory. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. here today to worship our living God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Give him a big hand, would you? Fantastic. I'm, I'm glad all of you are here. We, we welcome uh, our newest little fella, Noah Glenn Dundee, and his mama Catherine has him right there. Is he still sleeping? Is he? He's, so y'all give him a baby clap then because we don't want to wake that little fella up. We're so proud of uh, Noah Glenn and thankful for Devin and Catherine and this gift God has given to them. I I'm going to break from my series in Proverbs to preach to you a message that God has placed on my heart, simply entitled, To Seek and to Save. Jesus came. It was his mission to seek and to save lost people. Jesus is here today to save those who are lost, and he has called us, believers, to be his mouth, his hands, and his feet. One of my favorite stories is, is kind of a legend. It's, it's a story about after Jesus was crucified on the cross, buried in the tomb, rose again from the grave, and then ascended back into heaven. He, he was up in heaven in some clouds talking to some angels, and one of the angels, perhaps Gabriel, Ask him the question, Jesus, do, do the people on planet earth know to the full extent the gift that you just gave them? Do they understand completely what your death on Calvary's cross, your shed blood, the remission of sins, the gift of eternal life that you, do they understand that fully? And Jesus says, well, not quite yet. Another angel spoke up and said, well, how, how are they going to hear the, the good news? What, what is your plan of spreading the gospel? Jesus said, well, I've chosen a few good men, and I've commissioned them to, to go out and to spread the good news and to tell others who will tell others until the ends of the earth know the good news of the gospel. Well, another angel, after a pause, who knew humans pretty well, asked Jesus, What's plan B? <laughs> to which Jesus responded, there is no plan B. 
My friends, this is, this is very serious. If the world is going to know the truth and the good news about Jesus, it's because you and I are on mission with God that we have taken seriously his command to us to spread the good news. So I want to share with you this morning a story found in Luke's gospel, chapter 19. It's, it's a familiar story. You've, you've heard this before. Perhaps you know it. Uh, I love the story. I'm going to read it out of my Bible. You can follow along on the screen behind me. Here's what it says, Luke chapter 19, and he, Jesus, entered Jericho and was just passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Some translations say he was very wealthy. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all, help me with that word, grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is a son of Abraham also. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your mission of coming to planet Earth and giving your life as a sacrifice for our sins. Thank you for seeking me. Thank you for saving me. And today, Lord, as I speak on the outside, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and challenge us to be your voice, your hands, and your feet. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So Jesus came to seek and to save those who are spiritually lost. And as we walk with Jesus in Luke chapter 19, we're going to see how Jesus accomplishes this with this little guy named Zacchaeus. I want you to notice number one. Jesus notices people that others ignore. People that we wouldn't even give a second glance to. People that we totally ignore are the very ones that Jesus notices. Verse 1, he, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector, and he was rich. So we're introduced to a man who worked for the RRS, the Rome Revenue Service. He was a tax collector. His name was Zacchaeus. He is one of the better known personalities in the New Testament. In fact, if you grew up during the generation I grew up, you learned a song in Sunday school about Zacchaeus. 
one of the things I love about Brother Johnny is he, he doesn't give up the old music. So he's teaching our kids, my grandkids, the, the same songs that I grew up. Do, do you know that song about Zacchaeus? Well, I tell you, I can't, I can't preach on Zacchaeus without singing about Zacchaeus. So will you join me? If you know it, if you don't, you'll get it. Here we go. Do the hand motions too, all right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed the way, he looked up in the tree, and he said, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. Yes, I'm going to your house today. Yeah, man, fantastic. It was great. Woo, man. Now, I was noticing some of y'all didn't sing, so I want to do what Brother Johnny did. If you didn't sing, come on up on the stage. And... We won't do that. It's interesting to note Zacchaeus' name. It means pure and righteous. But when we first meet Zacchaeus, he is anything but pure and righteous. However, God had a plan for Zacchaeus' life. Jericho happened to be one of the wealthiest cities in this region. It was a great commercial center, which means that the government would get its cut as well, very much like our day. And where there is a potential source of tax revenue, there is a tax man. And in this case, we have the chief tax collector. His name was Zacchaeus. And again, I remind you, the Bible says he was very rich, very wealthy. Now, tax collectors were among the most hated people in the Jewish society. The country was under the domination of the Roman Empire who taxed the nation and used the money to pay for and supply the army that occupied the land. And tax collectors helped the Romans do this. So, so these tax collectors were considered traitors. On a double level, they were hated. Now, the taxation system in that day was a mess. And it was filled with gross abuse. Kind of reminds me of today, but we won't go there. The Romans would designate how much revenue should come from a particular district then they would sell the right to collect those revenues to the highest bidder. So the tax collector was obligated to give that specific amount to the Roman government. But if he was able to collect more than the required amount, he could just pocket the money. And that's the way they became rich. Now, common people didn't know exactly what the Roman tax rate was, so they were pretty much left up to the mercy of the tax collectors. And if you weren't able to pay your taxes, no problem. The tax collector would happily loan you the money at a very high interest rate. So basically, they were loan sharks as well. You can only imagine how despised tax collectors were. And Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and was very wealthy because of it. He had climbed on the top of many people to get where he was. Therefore, it's understandable that the, in the eyes of the average Jew, a tax collector was in the same 
category as a murderer and a robber and a prostitute. Look at verses 3 and 4. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into this sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Now, we can only guess why Zacchaeus was so eager to see Jesus. Was it merely curiosity? Well, perhaps it could have been. But you know what? The the verses preceding our text, those in Luke chapter 18, tell about another man that Jesus encountered on that day outside of Jericho. This man happened to be a blind beggar who was sitting next to the road. And when he heard that Jesus Christ was coming by, he shouted out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He knew that Jesus could make a difference in his life. And that's why he sought the attention of Jesus. Just as a side note, Jesus healed that man and gave him sight that day. And maybe it's the same longing that drove Zacchaeus up a tree, literally, all right? Maybe he was as lonely as he was wealthy, rich in money, but poor in friends. You've got to understand, he didn't have any friends. People hated him. No one would even talk to him. And he had heard that this Jesus had gained a reputation as a friend to sinners and tax collectors. (laughs) So I can just imagine Zacchaeus trying to squeeze his way through the crowd. He's a short man, we're told, and that coupled with the fact that he was so despised by others made it pretty tough for him to get through the crowd. I'm sure some saw him coming and gave him one of those as he walked by. But climbing up in the tree, he finally found a place where he could visually see Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus noticed Zacchaeus. Not only that, Jesus knew Zacchaeus. Jesus notices people that others ignore. He spots them in the crowd. That's just the way God is. He looks down and he doesn't see a crowd of people. He looks down and he sees a person. He looks down this morning and guess what? He sees you. And if we are to be involved with Jesus as he seeks and saves those who are lost... He's going to have to cause us to notice other people that are ignored. I want you to just think about all the people you come across in a day's time, whether it be at work or at school or in the store at the gym. We need to learn to see people through the eyes of Jesus because Jesus notices people that we ignore. I'm going to go back to this over and over in my message. There is no plan B. If lost people are going to be saved, it is because we notice them. We see them. 
We're going to find out in a moment we also engage them and we share the good news with them. But it all begins when we see them. So if you want to be on mission with Jesus, would you join me here in a moment when I give this altar call? And would you join me down here and just pray, Lord, open my eyes so I can see people as you see people. Open my heart, Lord, so I can see the struggles they're going through and love them like you love them. It all begins right there when we notice, when we notice other people. Number two, Jesus engages people that others reject. Look at verse five. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus doesn't just notice Zacchaeus. He engages him. Notice the wording carefully. He said, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. That little word must signals to us that Jesus was on a mission, not just into this man's house, but also into this man's heart. Verse 6. So he hurried and he came down and received Jesus joyfully. This was the best day in Zacchaeus' life. This is more than he could have hoped for. So he jumped out of that tree and he welcomed Jesus joyfully. The word joyfully is literally with rejoicing. It is the same word that Jesus uses in a string of parables told in Luke chapter 15. Remember those stories? There's a lost sheep, there's a lost coin, and there is a lost son. When the shepherds found that lost sheep, 99 were already in the fold, one was lost. When they found the one lost one, they rejoiced. Same word. Second story, there's this lady who lost a coin. It was a a dowry gift. She only had a few of them, but one of the coins was lost. And so she swept her house clean, searching for it until she found that one lost coin. And when she found it, there was rejoicing. That last story is the, the most familiar with you. When that prodigal son was found and when he came back home, daddy threw a party. And there was rejoicing at the father's farm because the one son who was lost came home. It looks like some of us need to rejoice. (laughs) Woo, come on, man. Isn't Jesus good to save us? Amen? That's something to rejoice at. But you know what? On this occasion, not everybody is rejoicing. Verse 7. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner, they said. So these murmurs begin rippling through the crowd. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Sinners were a class of people that were completely discarded, despised, and rejected. And if you were in this class, it was bad. And guess what? Tax collectors were always at the top of the list when they made lists of sinners. 
So there is joy in the hearts of Jesus and Zacchaeus, but not in the hearts of these grumpy religious people who hated the fact that Jesus spent time with people like Zacchaeus and utterly detested the fact that people like Zacchaeus could actually be saved and welcomed into the family of faith. You know, Jesus engages people that others reject. And I am afraid for many of us as Christ followers, we are much more like that grumpy religious crowd that can't stand the fact that Jesus really loves people who are lost and they live like it. So you know what, friends? Listen to me, Kavanaugh Church. I'm preaching out of love this morning, but I'm preaching pretty sternly as well. If we are to be on mission with God, what what did Jesus come to do? Seek and to save lost people. There is no plan B. We've been called to do that. We are his voice, we are his hands, and we are his feet. And if we are going to accomplish the task that he has assigned to each and every one of us, we have to notice people that others ignore, and we have to engage them even though they're sinners. That means seeing them like Jesus does. That means praying, Lord, help my heart to be open and receptive to people who don't think the way I think who don't have the same values and convictions that I have. People who look different, dress different, act different, talk different. Lord, give me compassion for them. And if by chance a sinner walks in these doors and visits this church, I pray, dear Lord, that I would be just as receiving as Jesus would be to them. You know, I've told you this story before, but I will never get it out of my mind, and I hope hope it is never taken out of my mind. I was pastoring another church years ago, and I'd been working on this guy. He was just a common worker. He's a sinner. I mean, he was a sinner. But he came to church one Sunday, and he got saved. Asked me to baptize him. I baptized him. The next Sunday, he came back to church, and there's this little old cranky lady in my church that was... She thought she was better than everybody else. She led into him because he wasn't dressed for church. Guys, this is back in the 80s and in this particular town and in this particular church. If you came to church, you looked a certain way. If you were a man, you wore dress pants and a white shirt. And if you had a coat, you wore a coat. This this old fella, he he was wearing blue jeans and a t-shirt and wearing cowboy boots. He had never been to church before. But he had been saved. He was trying to live for the Lord, and she chewed him out because he wasn't dressed right. He left that Sunday, and he said, Pastor, I I know you love me, and I know you care about me, but I can't come back to church here. And he told me the reason why. Look at me, guys. We, We don't love the sin, but we love the sinner. We leave it up to Jesus to change their life, their attitude, their thinking, their language. But we love them. We notice them. We engage them. 
There's one more thing about Jesus that you need to see. Jesus changes people that others give up on. Jesus doesn't just seek them, notice them, and engage them. He saves them. And he's the one that changes them. Just look at the change that happened to Zacchaeus. Verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. Want to know what Zacchaeus is doing right here? He's confessing and repenting. Now, that word is not used, but that is exactly what Zacchaeus is doing. I was lost. I cheated people. I took from people. I was going the wrong way in my life, but now I'm going the right way, and I'm going to do the right thing. Our faith is evidenced by repentance. I trust Jesus enough to turn away from my old way of life and turn to him. And Zacchaeus is doing that publicly. He stands up and he makes this announcement for all to hear. And you know what? That's what Jesus is asking of us. Jesus never calls us to secret discipleship. He always calls us to go public with our faith. And that's what believer's baptism is all about. We baptized a few people the first service. We're going to baptize more the second service. These people we are about to baptize, you know what they're doing? They are a living testimony. They are going public with their faith in Jesus Christ. Christ has changed them. So they are declaring before you and the world that Jesus is Lord of their life. It is a public confession of faith. That's what Jesus wants from us. No secret discipleship. Verse 9, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. That day something radical happened to Zacchaeus. Today salvation has come to this house. That is so important to note because you don't just sort of ease into a relationship with Jesus. I know it is a growing relationship, but you know what? It starts at a point in time when you trust Jesus and there is a decision made in your heart and you turn and you repent and you place your faith in him. There is a moment in time when you do that. You, you ask me how I know Angie is my wife. There, there she is right there. Isn't she pretty? Ask me, Will, how do you know Angie's your wife? That, thank you. Well, I don't just say, we met in college at, at Hillsdale, which is now Randall, and we started dating, and we fell in love, and then we lived together, and we had three kids together, and we're still enjoying each other to this day. I'm leaving out a very important detail. On May the 14th, 1983, we got married. We stood at the altar of the Norman First Free Will Baptist Church, which is now Cross Point Church. Our pastor, Joe Grizzle, was standing in front of us, and I said, wilt thou? And she wilted. Right there. We got married. <laughs> it happened. 
You know what? I can't remember the exact date I got saved. It was a long time ago. I didn't write that date down. I don't have the exact date. But I remember the event. I know it happened. I don't have the exact day of the week. I know the year, but I don't know the exact date. I, I know where it happened at the Westside Free Will Baptist Church in Midland. My, my pastor is a Sunday night. He was preaching on hell. Brother Zellers could preach on hell, man. After church, he had to be the first one out smoking a cigarette as he walked out the door. He could also blow fire out of his mouth. He was a, he was a hellfire and brimstone preacher. That's just a side note. I didn't tell first service people that, so y'all are... But that night I ran to the altar and I gave my heart to Jesus. He led me through the Romans road to salvation. I don't remember the exact date, but I do remember it happened. A moment in time when I was lost and then all of a sudden I was found. When I was a sinner, but then I was saved. When I was on my road to hell, but then I changed and I'm on my way to heaven. It happened. Hallelujah. I'm going to take that as a hallelujah. That's great right there. I am afraid that many people are deceived into thinking that they're saved just because they grew up knowing about Jesus. Listen, don't presume that you can just move in with Jesus. It doesn't happen that way. It is an event that involves a faith commitment on your parts. You've got to trust him. And then my favorite verse here in verse 10, for the son of man, he came to seek and to save the lost. Lost. That, that's the way the Bible refers to people who are separated from God. They're lost. What happens when something or someone is lost? Well, they're in the wrong place. God is over here and that person is separated from God. They're in the wrong place. They are in the wrong place relationally with God and they are in the wrong place for eternity without God. Here's what the Bible says in John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. This is serious stuff. I've said this before, and it, you know, you, you kind of shake your head when you hear it, but here's, here's what it is. You know what you have to do to go to hell? Nothing. Because out of the womb, you're on your way to hell. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ his Lord. So if you want to change your lostness, you've got to be found. You have got to invite Jesus into your heart and repent of your sins. Do you understand that your lost family members and your dear friends who are lost are in grave danger? 
They're lost. They're on the road to hell. And if something doesn't change in their life, that is where they're going to spend all eternity. And and I want you to remember what I said earlier. And excuse the way I say it, but I'm doing it for a reason. There ain't no plan B. If they hear the good news and they understand the good news and they believe the good news and they have a change in their life from hell to heaven, it's because you have noticed them, you have engaged them, and you have shared the good news with them. In the late 1800s, there was a little-known Scottish Baptist pastor by the name of John Harper. John was converted as a teenager. He gave his life to Jesus Christ and just got on fire for the Lord. He, he worked for six years at a, at a paper mill, and then, and then at night he would go on the streets and he would share his witness with people, winning people to Jesus. Later he became the pastor of a small church in Glasgow where many people were saved through his witness, and that church just exploded with growth. Before long, John Harper's passion for evangelism became well-known worldwide, and he accepted an invitation to preach a revival at the famed Moody Church in Chicago. By then, his wife had died, and he had a six-year-old girl named Nana. On April the 11th, 1911, John Harper and his six-year-old daughter Nana went to Southampton, and they purchased two second-class tickets on the excitingly new, powerful luxury liner named the Titanic. Well, you know the fateful story of the Titanic. Nathan told you that. Four days later, on April the 15th, the Titanic struck an iceberg. John Harper instantly and instinctively wrapped Nana in a blanket and gave her to an upper deck officer with the instructions of placing her in a lifeboat, to which he did. Nana survived, but John Harper didn't. Those who were later picked up said they could distinctly hear his Scottish voice calling out in the night, women, children, and the unsaved to the lifeboats first. He gave his own life jacket to a man, his only hope of survival. Gave it to somebody else. The Titanic sank, leaving hundreds fighting for their lives in the icy water of the North Atlantic. The SS Carpathia picked up the distress signal and arrived later to rescue some of those who survived those frigid waters. Some years later, at a revival meeting in Ontario, Canada, one of those survivors gave his testimony. And he told the story, the encounter he had in those frigid waters of another man who just happened to be John Harper. He was in a life jacket. Harper was on a board floating in the waves, and the current brought them together. Harper called out to him, are you saved? Now, you think about the magnitude of that moment. You're in the frigid waters. You don't have a life jacket. You're clinging to your life on a board. And what are you doing? You're concerned about somebody else. He asked the man, are you saved? 
To which the man replied, no. Harper called out the words of Acts 16, 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. The man made no reply and they drifted away again. But before long, the current brought them back together within sight of each other. And again, Harper asked, are you saved now? No, I can't honestly say that I am. And once more, Harper cried out the words of Acts 16, 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. They drifted apart for the last time. The man went on to say, shortly after that, with two miles of frigid water beneath me, I believed. I confessed my sins, and I invited Jesus into my heart, and I was saved. He said, I was John Harper's last convert. Good people of Kavanaugh, I'm not asking you, nor is the Lord asking you this morning to save the world, but what he is asking you is for you to get busy doing what he called you to do. It was his mission to seek and to save the lost. And if you have been saved by the glorious blood of Jesus Christ, you too have been called and commissioned to notice people that others ignore, to care enough about them that you engage them personally, and then you share with them your story. You say, well, preacher, I don't know... I don't know enough of the Bible to win somebody to Jesus. I I don't know the Romans road. I haven't memorized those. Hey, you know what? You, You do know. If you've been here any length of time, you do know ABC. How can a person get to heaven? It's as simple as ABC. A, you admit, you admit you're a sinner. We all are. We have that in common. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. B, You believe, you believe Jesus. He is the Son of God. He's the only one who can save us. That he died on the cross for your sins. See, you confess Jesus as Lord of your life. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. It's not rocket science. Jesus made it simple. It's as simple as. You You know what you also have? I'm going to talk to you because we like to talk to each other on Sundays. You know what you have? It's different than anybody else in this church. You've got your story. Jason, you've got an incredible story of how Jesus saved your life. Mine is not as nearly as incredible as Jason's, but I've got my story too. And if you've been saved, you've got your story And all Jesus is asking you to do is to share your story with someone he is seeking to save. Jesus, you you sure about what's plan B? (laughs) There is no plan B.
I don't know how much more time I have in front of you as your pastor. I told you last week, I'm on on the downhill slide of things now. You turn 62, everything falls apart, man. I got more days behind me than I do in front of me, but here's one thing I know, church. We have not accomplished what God has brought us together to accomplish. And that is to win our world in the river valley to Jesus Christ. And that's not just going to happen through good singing. And we have some of the best singing in town. That's not going to happen just through Bible preaching. And the preaching here may not be the best, but it's from the Bible. You know how it's going to happen. It's going to happen when you have the eyes of Jesus. And you see people as Jesus sees people. And it breaks your heart as it broke his heart. And you personally engage them and love them. Not because of their sin, but because of their soul. And you not only invite them to church, you tell them your story of how Jesus has changed your life. There could be somebody here today who needs to receive that gift of salvation. You need to believe. I was at a cowboy shoot yesterday, and it was right here in town, and we we shoot our stages in, in Keenan. We came to the church, and at the church, they, they know what's going to happen. <laughs> so some of them were kind of smarting off. What sermon you got for us today, preacher? Because before I read the scenario, I preach them a little sermon. You know what I told them yesterday? How to go to heaven? It's as simple as ABC. And I said, I want you to be in heaven. Jesus wants you to be in heaven, but I, I want to see you in heaven as well. And friend, I'm looking at you and I, t- I want you to be in heaven. But the ball's in your court. You've got to accept the gift. You've got to believe. You've got to confess. And that can happen today. So would you come and receive the best gift that anyone has ever offered to you before? The gift of heaven. And if you've already been saved and you're a ch- church member of Kavanaugh Church, would you, I mean, we're not a perfect church, I know that. But let's be about the master's business. Let's make his mission our mission. Let's make his priority our priority. Let us go out and win people to Jesus and be his eyes, his hands, his feet, and his mouth. You know, here's the deal. As I've been preaching this sermon, somebody's came to your mind. God's put somebody in your heart that you know personally that if they died right now, they would split hell wide open. And God has convicted you. He's he's talked to you in this sermon and said, you need to be a witness to them. You need to open your mouth. You need to invite them to church. You need to tell them your story. So why don't you do this today? Why don't you start all of that by coming with me to the altar and, get this word, interceding for them. You pray for them and pray for yourself too that 
that you would have a heart for those people, that you would open your mind, that God would give you the opportunity, and that you would be courageous. Because I'm telling you, all God is wanting you to do is open your mouth and say the first word. And when you do that, he's going to take over the conversation. He'll help you. So let's get serious today. There is a world that is lost and dying and going to hell. This world is a mess. And if it's going to get better, it's going to happen one person at a time. When you take on the mission of Jesus to seek and to save lost people. Heavenly Father, would you please, please grace us with your presence. Please, Lord, do something special in this room. Please, Jesus, I pray that you would move in a mighty way, speak to hearts, change lives. Lord Jesus, I pray that those who need to receive Christ would be saved today. I pray for those who are away from you. I pray that they would come home, Lord. And for the rest of us, Jesus, I pray that you would burden our heart for lost people. Help us, dear Lord Jesus, to uh, come this morning and intercede on their behalf. Lord, start a revival in our church. As we repent of our own sins, get a heart for others. Do that now, dear Lord, we pray. For it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed if Jesus is talking to you? Come on, would you? Come now.
Jesus, thank you for loving us, saving us, and forgiving us. Help us to be the people you called us to be. Help us to be the church you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Amen. I know several decisions were made at the altar. I'm glad to tell you that Sister Barbara and I were able to pray with Tessa, and she invited Jesus into her heart this morning. Amen. Amen. So you pray for Miss Tessa, okay? Let, let me pray for her, and we can pray for each other as well. Lord Jesus, I do love you. Thank you for Tessa and the fact that she came today to be saved. Help her to live for you and follow you and walk with you. Lord, I want to pray for those who are about to be baptized as they go public with their faith. I pray, dear Lord, that you would just strengthen them and help them to be a witness for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. They're going to come in right now and get ready for baptism, uh, and I'm going to help them baptize, but let, let me just give a couple of announcements so that we don't have to do this after we celebrate the baptisms. When you walk out the room today, make sure you drop your offering in one of those black boxes. We would appreciate it. Wednesday night, we're going to feed you both spiritually and physically uh, with a spaghetti dinner. Uh, this is being put on by our Kavanaugh Children's Center, so it will take place in the gymnasium. You show up anytime after 5.30 p.m., you're going to have a great spaghetti meal. It only costs $5 per person, or if you have a family of four or over just 20 bucks and everybody can eat, all right? The uh, proceeds go to our children's center, so show up for that. And then this Wednesday night, I'm gonna be preaching, so stick around for that as well. Saturday morning, our men are gonna have their prayer breakfast at 7.38 a.m. And also, next Sunday is World Mission Offering. Uh, this is something our denomination does every year. We give on the last Saturday or Sunday of the month of August to World Missions. The goal for our denomination is for churches to give in one offering $1 million to spread the good news of the gospel across the world. We're giving for our missionaries. So if you believe in World Missions, next Sunday you can give. How are we going to give? We're going to give the whole offering. So everything that is put in those black boxes next Sunday goes to World Missions. The goal for the denomination is a million dollars. Our goal is $50,000 next Sunday, and we can do it. Here's how. Not only do you just give what you normally give, you pray this week, Lord, what can I add to my normal offering, my normal tithe to give to the Lord? And God's going to tell you, I, I don't think I've told Miss Angie this, and I'll probably get in trouble when I get home, but I've been praying for a month, Lord, what should I give? Lord just told me, double it, Will. You just double what you normally give. And I'm waiting for him to tell me even more than that, and he may do it. I'm not telling you to double your gift, but I am asking that you pray what God would have you give, and if we all give, we will exceed our goal of $50,000. And it goes to world missions. Can't think of a better thing that it goes to. Amen? Amen? So next week, come prepared to give. I am excited about the baptisms we are about to experience. How about you? Give a big hand to these who are about to be baptized. I think Brother Johnny's going to start it off. Okay, so great to be with you all today. I got a great one with me today. This is Andy Hill. And I believe, Cece, we're about to set history here today because, I'm going to turn around. I baptized, believe it or not, 
I baptized her mother. So this is the second generation for me. I'm so proud, so happy that the Lord would let me stay in one place long enough to do this. I'm so happy. I'm just busting out. I'm so proud of, of Andy. She accepted the Lord with her parents at home and uh, has talked to them about, there you are. I was trying to find Cece. There she is. And she's grown a little since those 20 years ago. And I'm so thankful she prayed with her parents at home and asked Jesus in her heart. Now she's ready to follow the Lord in baptism. Get ready to plug your nose. Okay, sit right down. Our Father, in obedience to thy heavenly command, I baptize this, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Grab your nose. <laughs> History has just been made. It's wonderful. I'm going to ask Miss Gail, she's back here somewhere, if she would ask a prayer over Andy. Amen. All right. Hey, how's everyone doing? I got a few teenagers we're going to baptize as well. Isn't that awesome? It's good. It's good. This is an amazing group of, of teenagers. We've enjoyed them all being back in Blaze. First up, we have Cheyenne. Cheyenne's been coming back for a few weeks now, and it's just been so good to, to hear you. Last week, we talked about your testimony, a little bit of your story, and I loved what you had to say. It really warmed my heart. So I have a lot of confidence in you and in what we're doing here today. So I'm proud of you. This is one of the greatest decisions that you ever do, going public for your faith. With that being said, I'm going to go ahead and just ask you these two questions. Do you, have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And do you promise to serve and love him with the rest of your life? All right. With that then being said, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hold your nose. All right. Good. All right. Woo! All right. I'm going to ask Miss Fran if you could pray for Cheyenne. Amen. Next up, we have Davion. Davion, thanks for doing this today. This is awesome. Uh, again, a public profession of faith. We follow Jesus' example in doing this. Um, he was a perfect son of God, but he wanted us to follow his example to be able to show people that, we, that we're all about him and uh, we're going to love and serve him with our life. So I'm going to ask you the same two questions. How do you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? You promise to serve him and love him with the rest of your life? Proud of you, dude. With that being said, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. All right. All right. Real fast, I'm going to ask Miss Franny Spencer to pray for Davion. All right, go ahead.
you're, you're a Davion science teacher. That's awesome. That's so cool. All right. Next up, we have Patience. Uh, she's also been coming back to Blaze for a few weeks, and uh, it's been great to have you. Just like the others, uh, we want to follow in Jesus' example in doing this. And in, in doing this, you're publicly saying, hey, I'm all in for Jesus. I'm going to live my life for him. All right. With that being said, have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And you promise to serve and love him with the rest of your life. All right. Proud of you, too. It's a it's an important step today, all right? With that being said, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Awesome. Awesome. All right. I'm going to ask uh, Brother Stacy if you could pray for uh, patience. Amen. What a privilege to be with my sister Judith, who has accepted Jesus as her personal Lord and Savior and has committed her life to love Him and serve Him. Sister, it is with great honor that I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs> Bless your heart. Miss Deborah, would you stand up and pray for Judith? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Deb. This is Mike Chrisman. He has accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior, committed his life to him, and has promised to follow Jesus the rest of the days of his life. Mike, I love you so much, and I am so proud of you. And it is with great honor that I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Woo! I'm going to ask our friend Kenan Polk if he would stand and pray for Mike. Amen. Amen. Now, you want to know what cool is? <laughs> we get to baptize Mike's wife now, Leanna. Isn't this awesome? Not only does Jesus change lives, Jesus changes homes. And Leanna has committed her life to Jesus. And, sister, let me tell you, it is with great honor 
and a great privilege that I now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Woo. Where's, where's Brother Jason? Brother Jason, would you pray for Leanna? Amen. Amen. You know, I know in heaven there is a party going on. There is great celebration because of these who were baptized. So why don't we celebrate with heaven right now? Amen. Today in both services, we have baptized 11 people. They've gone public with their faith and we rejoice in that. Kavanaugh Church, I love you. I pray that you would be the hands, the feet, and the voice of Jesus this week. Let's be on mission with our Lord. He came to seek and to save the lost. Let's do our part. God bless you. We'll see you.